For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. They are disappearing like textbooks, landline phones, and video stores. Reminders of a time when the media market was oversaturated and publishers were locked in fierce battles over circulation. Over the past 15 years, 20% of all newspapers in this country have shuttered, and more than 1,300 communities now are classified as local news deserts, fueled by a staggering decline in revenue and ad spending and the advent of non-traditional news sources. To say local journalism is on the brink would be an understatement. Data shows that there are 47% fewer journalists in the U.S. than in 2005, and consumer trust in the media is fading like newspaper bureau offices. To combat this decline, the Boston-based ad agency Allen & Garretson launched Protect Our Press in partnership with Boston Globe Media. The initiative aims to reinvest ad spending in local newsrooms and have agencies, brands, and publishers pledge their participation or commitment. To talk more about our Protect Our Press, I would like to welcome three guests. First, Andrew Graff, CEO at Allen & Garretson. Andrew was named by the Forays as one of the 100 people who make advertising great and by the Boston Business Journal as one of the 100 most influential people in Boston business. Next, Kayvon Salmanpour, Chief Commercial Officer at Boston Globe Media. A founding member of NewsCred, Kayvon has held a variety of leadership positions in the media industry and is well known for disrupting traditional revenue models in media and fostering new ways to fund high quality journalism. And finally, Chris Scott, Enterprise Editor at the Lowell Sun in Lowell, Massachusetts, an award-winning writer. Chris oversees the daily publication of the newspaper and its weekly the Voice. Gentlemen, welcome to Beyond Profit. Thank you, Ken. Good to be here. And great to have you here. Thank you. So before we dive into the mission and goals of Protect Our Press, I think it's important to provide a bit more texture to the issue at hand. And I'd like to start with Chris. You've worked at the Lowell Sun now since 1981. Talk about some of the changes that you've seen in the industry and how they've affected you professionally and also on local journalism. Oh, sure. That's, um, I could go on for an hour answering that question, but I'll, I'll try to just um, summarize a little bit. I started in 1981 as a student from Northeastern University as a co-op student, same as you, Ken. And um, when I first started at the newspaper, our daily circulation was close to 60,000 newspapers, and we published six editions a day. Um, You could write a story on a Monday morning and it would be live for that afternoon's delivery. It was fresh news, uh, literally kind of cliche. It was like hot off the presses. Mm -hmm. Today, that um, that 55,000 to 6,000 number is far lower. I don't, I don't even know what it is. It's probably around, around 25,000, maybe even lower. But what's compensated for that is we've switched to online, as all newspapers have. And, you know, we put stories online first. We'll put stories online that might not make the newspaper for two or three days. Mm-hmm. But, we have, but we get them online. And our clicks, um, the number of people clicking onto lolsun.com is in the millions. The numbers there are very good. And in terms of the additions, I, we were up to five or six back in 1981 or in the mid-1980s. Today we have one. It's just one edition of the Wall Sun. But I am proud to say that we still print seven days a week. Mm-hmm. There are some other community newspapers 
in and around the Murray Mack Valley that do not have that anymore. The Lawrence Eagle Tribune is only online a couple days a week, and I think the Nashua Telegraph. Uh, two great papers, two great operations. The Nashua Telegraph, I'm, yeah, I'm maybe I should be careful here, but uh, they're mostly online. Mm-hmm. So at the Sun, we're still doing something right, but it's not easy. It's, you know, it, it's not easy. When I first started at the Sun, the newsroom had close to 100 full-time employees, photographers, reporters, editors, and even FTE, plenty of FTEs and you know photo texts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We don't have any of that anymore. There's no clerical support. And I think the, the number of people working in the newsroom now is fewer than 20 when, mm-hmm. it, was, when mm-hmm. it was more than 100 just a couple decades ago. Mm-hmm. And part and parcel with that, Chris, in, in addition to the changes to the industry, your job has changed in terms of what you're being asked as well. I was trained at Northeastern University as a journalist. Um, you know, I, I'm a writer. I'm a reporter. And for the mo- most of my career, that's what I've been doing. However, over the last several years, as the newspaper has consolidated, I'm doing more of the production side mm-hmm. of, of, of the equation, which <laughs> I've, I've learned how to do these, you know, these computer applications and, and these other content management systems. It hasn't been easy for me to do that, but I've done it. But that's taken away from my ability to work with the reporters and develop investigative and enterprise stories and stories that we believe our, our readers really want. And we still we still try to hit that stuff. You know, we have a centerpiece story every day on page one. Uh, we have a local centerpiece on page three. But the, the trained journalists are not spending as much time as they formerly did on journalism. Mm-hmm. There's all this other stuff that we have to deal with now because of the consolidation. Andrew, the, the prevailing feeling at your agency is that it's the ad agency that's culpable in the decline of local journalism, which is a real damning indictment. And I'm just wondering, why did, why did things go off the rails? So what's very interesting is, so my team uh, of media uh, experts, you know, the, the, the strategists, the planners, and the buyers were at an industry conference where this started, this topic of news and, and news being skipped was part of the conversation. And they came, and they came back really fired up because they realized that the ad industry itself, you know, who makes the recommendations to the brands, our clients, of where to spend their dollars, were, you know, taking an easier way out and just sort of say, because of programmatic and all of that, like, let's make news skippable. And, the reality is that, you know, more so probably over the last year and the previous years, the importance of news from with a journalistic integrity aspect of it has become very more important than ever. Like we let ourselves get news everywhere mm-hmm. and a lot of it wasn't accurate. And it, that accuracy turned into strong convictions of where things were. And if you think about the last, if you think about the last year, and how you know everything from, you know the the virus information to vaccinations to the social justice aspects of things and the things that are going on in our individual communities, you know, getting news locally and factual news became even more important than just having the national view. Or a view from, you know, social media and Twitter. 
And so our team started to be, you know, we're with colleagues who all had a very cynical view of like, this is all great, but like, we need to do something about it. And so as part of a passion play, we want to kind of rally the industry to say, you know what, local news is really important and journalistic integrity is even more important. And I think part of that is as we diverted dollars to other, you know, new new mediums or how we thought about programmatic, we just started skipping news. And part of that was brands didn't want to show up in the wrong places. It was easier just to say, put news on the exclusion list mm-hmm. as opposed to specific editorial. It's now time to like really refocus and say, we know news is important. We need to protect our press, which is is where we're really focused in on, in helping the industry bounce itself back. And we're, you know, we, we help create it. We can also help get it returned and restored. Right, so, so Andrew, were your industry peers also having these conversations or do you feel like you folks are out on an island? I, I think the conversations were happening, but there was no action being taken. I think what we've, we have found is we started to take action and talk to our industry peers and our clients and all of that. There's not a disagreement. There's a, actually, there's more of a, like, I didn't even know this was really happening, even though I kind of did, kind of thing. And it's like the belief that we should all rally together and do something mm-hmm. has picked up a lot of traction and um, people really focusing in on it, both on the agency side and obviously on the advertiser side uh, as well to kind of say, you know what, it's time for us to help. So, Kayvon, from your perspective at Boston Globe Media, when you look back, um, should more of an effort have been made to bring agencies, brands and publishers together? Yes. I mean, just just to take a step back and just add to, to what Andrew mentioned, Ken, is that sure. weirdly enough, the subscription has gone full circle. So... In the 90s, obviously, newspapers dominated. In the 2000s, you know, the, the, there was the sort of birth of digitally native companies, which kind of opened up this idea of scale. You know, scale was further amplified by these social platforms. Google essentially took the newspaper's classified business. Facebook took the newspaper's local, local targeted advertising business. You know, but I think as the platform started to change their algorithms, so you know, digitally native media companies actually struggled to make their business models work. You know, content production became extremely expensive, you know, and ultimately scale devalued media. And a lot of these media brands now have focused on a subscription-based strategy in which digital subscriptions seems to be thriving for a lot of brands, including the globe. You know, I, I don't think advertising has come full circle yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've been going through the same tough period of transition from a print-centric company to a digital one, like any other news organization. You know, I think we're on the other side of it in terms of we have a healthy number of digital subscriptions. We, have, we do have a stable ad business. During that process, we've honestly had to redefine our voice and our position within the community. I joined, you know, I joined two years ago to help spearhead both our positioning and our relationship with brands and agencies, you know, and basically to completely overhaul the way we sell media. We, we had to go out there and tell a story that high quality journalism matters, that local news is not only important to the community, but to our democracy. You know, essentially selling with purpose, which, you know, it's like one of the previous podcasts that you focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But to be honest with you, many times, uh, you know, as, as Andrew probably knows, that we were fighting an uphill battle to create agencies and brands and marketers about the value of being next to high-quality journalists. And many brands don't want to position themselves next to bad news. But I think, you know, during the pandemic, we saw a massive revival of how the relationship between agencies, brands, and publishers operated. You know, sometimes it takes a big, big moment for someone to realize the importance of local news. New York Times had it with the Weinstein expose, the Post had it with Trump. You know, I think ultimately we had ours during the pandemic. People turned to us daily to get the latest information about COVID-19 in New England. We saw a massive increase in readership. You know, and people came to us in times of crisis. So I do think, Ken, now is the perfect time to bring everyone together. I think partnering with brands and agencies on some of the you know campaigns that give back to communities, whether it's our Salute to Nurses campaign, our Mask Up campaign, they were all in, in the interest of giving back. So we're working well with brands, well with agencies. But, you know, I do have to give ANG a lot of credit. They approached us about this notion, you know, way before the pandemic. So, uh, Chris, uh, getting back to you, we're obviously, we're all aware of the issues that we're having with ad revenues, but we now live in a time when journalists like you are viewed as enemies of the people and purveyors of fake news. So how do community newspapers like the Lowell Sun break through with readers in light of that? I'd like to respond by saying I am a proud member of the enemy of the people, <laughs> and I've never, I've never been more proud to be a member of the enemy of the people. You know, what works for the Sun is local news. Uh, news that our readers cannot get elsewhere. Um, but, you know, both of my, my the, the other fellows that I'm with today have talked about the pandemic and, and the Trump era. Of course, during the pandemic and the Trump era, the newspaper, The Sun, has had a fair amount of page one real estate devoted uh, to what was happening in Washington, D.C., both politically and in terms of the pandemic. And in Boston, mm-hmm. you know, the news was just so overwhelming. Every time Trump opened his mouth, you know, there was there was a page one story in the Times, the Globe, and the Washington Post, and and we felt the same that we, you know, we had to give our readers what was happening, even though it wasn't local. With him out of the White House, and with the pandemic on the wane, we've we're getting back to our local roots, and that's giving our readers stories and other items that they cannot get elsewhere, the uh, items that they can't get in the Globe, in all due respect to the Globe, or, or in the Herald, or in, you know, on some of the Boston television stations. Um, that's what we try to focus on, and that's, what, that's how we try to build, build our brand and, and, and retain our brand. Right. And so I, 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 same question back to you, Kayvon, you know, in terms of how you're building your brand in light of everything that's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we realize that we're a mission-driven media brand, you know, that cares very much about our community, you know, and I think what we're trying to do is almost bring out the human element behind our journalism. You know, the journalist behind a byline who's reporting these stories, who's gathering breaking news, who's lifting up communities, who's telling their stories, you know, and that has a tremendous significance for you know, local brands and businesses. I think, as, as I mentioned before, we're definitely rethinking about our voice and our stature and our relationship mm-hmm. to the community. But, you know, the pandemic has had a huge, huge moment- momentum for us to redefine our relationship with our readers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that in a lot of ways like that, that helped. 
Andrew, was, was the pandemic, as Kayvon has suggested, the real tipping point for the launch of Protect Our Press? So it, it actually took us, it wasn't the it wasn't the inspiration behind it because it had already been in the work just kind of based on what, you know, how news was being disseminated and interpreted and frankly how agencies were just diverting funds away from it. So that conversation happened pre-pandemic. The need and the opportunity to really launch this only accelerated our need to kind of do this. But, you know, we took our time trying to figure out, like, how are we going to rally everybody around it? And with the pandemic, frankly, you know, there was a lot of need to understand, you know, not just what was happening nationally, but how, how were you informed locally? Mm-hmm. And it's a variety of topics. You know, we talk about COVID and vaccine, but it's also climate and our neighborhoods and what's going on. And for advertisers now, you know, wanting to get closer to their audiences, mm-hmm. you know, people are spending a lot more time looking at news and understanding news. You know, I think the election brought everybody closer together. It just whatever your point of view was to wanting to be able to understand the issues at hand and what was at stake. And so it became a good opportunity for us to talk to our clients about the opportunity to start to associate back with not just news as a general topic, but as specific uh, storytelling that was happening right. and to be associated with that and that it was good for brands to do to do that. But we knew we couldn't do it alone. And we wanted to rally the industry and we did. We're doing it with the support of both the 4As and the ANA and other organizations and news organizations. And we're just getting the conversation going. And it's like, we don't look at it as like short term fix. It took 20 years to really create the problem. And it's like, yeah, you know, let's turn it around, but have an expectation that it's going to continue to grow and, and all of that. We feel like there's uh, just a whole re- renewed interest in doing this. So, Kayvon, Protect Our Press you know, is main, mainly geared toward a pledge at this particular point. What is the pledge that Boston Globe Media is making right now to help build back the local news community? Just as Andrew mentioned about climate, it's like a perfect example. We, we've made huge investments in our coverage of the region. We're hiring a pair of climate crisis reporters to cover the impact on New England, we're expanding the size of our spotlight investigative team. We're hiring a pair of tech reporters to cover the incredible innovation that's happening here in Boston in AI and robotics. We are making massive investments in life sciences and medical space. Can we, you know, we have a media company called Stat, which is our sort of B2B biotech and life sciences media business. It does, you know, very well during the pandemic. And I think just the healthcare community in general has become um, a source of kind of pride and I think national interest as well. So this huge investment there. We've invested in a newsroom in Rhode Island. We'll also hire a reporting fellow and an editor dedicated to stronger coverage of neighborhoods of color in Boston. So I'm actually proud and impressed by both the Globe, its owners, its editor, because they've made huge strides in, in building back the local news community. So Andrew, you you, um, you mentioned the fact that Protect Our Press is, is more of a long-term initiative. Tell our audience how you plan to you know move beyond the pledge to drive momentum for the initiative. This is purely a, a passion play for us, for an industry that we love that we're in and for to support the news organizations, frankly, that you know we admire mm-hmm. and want to see continue to thrive. So the goal initially is awareness. We find that most people 
instinctually know, weren't really aware of the severity of the problem, are willing to take a pause and say, you know what, we need to bring that back and we can't be lazy in our programmatic buying to just check a box and say, exclude. We want people to think about it more. We need to keep reinforcing the message. We need to reinforce it with you know, our, our clients and the brands and, and all of that. And there's important discussions that are happening, whether it's at the globe level or right down to the very local community level like the Lowell Sun does. How do we encourage everybody? And part of that is just talking about it and getting everybody to talk about it. And yeah, commit to a pledge. But beyond that, also commit to the dollars in the recommendations that we're putting in front of our clients and for them to approve it and say, yes, this is an important part. And fortunately, we were able to kick this off and launch it with a client that also found it was an important aspect for us to do. And we want to see more of our agency peers do this. We want to see more of the publishers do this. And we definitely want all the brands to say this is important. Because the idea actually was inspired by big brands who wanted to say, don't let this stop. And there is somebody that invests a lot of dollars into communities and to the local, local press as well as the national. So, uh, Chris, you know, we've heard a lot of positive things about local journalism. Um, you know, getting back to you and The Sun, t- talk about some of the, the inherent value of trusted local news sources that maybe people overlook. And perhaps you can provide an example or two of that. I'll use an example that we recently did a story about an animal control officer in the town of Kingsboro who... I know you guys might might laugh and say an animal control officer, you know, big deal. It's not a police chief. It's not a town manager. However, this animal control officer uh, was the subject of a police investigation for making racially insensitive and very inflammatory posts following the killing of George Floyd. During the protest that swept the country, this particular public official in Kingsborough, his name's Dave Robson, he was posting on his public Facebook page notes like shoot the protesters and things like that. The police chief in that community wanted to fire him and remove him. Um, however, the Board of Selectmen voted behind closed doors, and it's a story that I broke, voted to retain him on a three-to-one vote. The fifth member of the Board of Selectmen happens to be Robson's son, who's up for re-election in just a month. He obviously recused himself from that vote. However, the son did not give up on the story. The son requested the document that the police chief did explaining why he should be fired. The town of Kingsboro denied us that, saying it's a personnel matter, you're not going to get it. We appealed to the state secretary of state's office, and we won, and we got the document, and we published the document in its entirety in the sun and on lulsun.com and with a page one story just a couple of weeks ago. That is the value of community journalism. So people could see why the police chief wanted this guy to be fired, why the board of selectmen decided to retain him, and the timing of the release of the report with the town election coming up and with this guy's son up for re-election, I think couldn't be better. In my humble opinion, it's, it's what a community newspaper can do. It can just stay on a story, be dogged on a story, and inform the public that this is what's going on behind closed doors in your town hall. That's just one example, and I'm really proud of the team that I work with for us being persistent and getting that news out. Good. That's a great example, Chris, and, and thank you for sharing that, and congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayvon, as you know, Americans are placing their trust in talk show hosts and citizen bloggers and social media influencers. So my question to you is, you know, how do we regain the trust 
of local news, I mean, and specifically the Boston Globe. You know, I mean, first and foremost, as Andrew mentioned, there just needs to be more investment in local news. You know, and by that, I'm referring to commitments from consumers, from agencies, from brands to read, follow, subscribe, and advertise with local independent news outlets. And you're right, Ken, it's a problem. There's been such a huge monumental shift away from reading independent journalism to just consuming snackable content on platforms, um, mm-hmm. which we've seen can spread misinformation. It's something that needs to be majorly addressed. In the meantime, we, the globe is doing a lot to build trust. We built a number of resource hubs that offered crucial, valuable information free of charge, not behind a paywall during the pandemic. We built a COVID tracker for New England, the COVID resource center with real-time news that was actually sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. You know, we launched a Slack channel for small businesses to decode PPP loans. We did as much as we can to sort of build trust with our community for us to become a valuable resource. You were right. There is still a major habitual pattern of getting content from other sources, which definitely needs to be addressed. Right. Kevon, what do you believe is at stake for journalists? Should should more publications fall by the wayside? I don't. Just the story that, that Chris mentioned, that for me, you know, just going back to what I was saying about the human element of journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, when I listen to the Spotlight team and then the sort of uncompromising pursuit of truth, you know, when I think about a journalist with a byline who's gathering breaking news, who's literally telling the community stories, I think journalism becomes such an important part to the community, to our democracy, to just everything that our belief system. So it's just so incredibly important. So I, you know, I absolutely do not think any other media company should fall by the wayside. Chris, anything you'd like to add to that? Another big story, this one in Lowell that played out over the past couple of years involved the sighting of a new high school. Right now in Lowell, the high school complex is right in the heart of the downtown, and there was a group of people that wanted to move it out toward 495, out to where the high school, where the school department's athletic complexes are. It's called, can you, can you probably remember it? It's called Cauley Stadium. Yes. Yeah. And there was an incredibly bitter debate that split up friendships, that split up families. Were you pro Cauley or were you pro-downtown. And what I remember as that played out was the role social media played. Because if the city would release some numbers or release a document pertaining to Cauley or pertaining to downtown, if you were on the opposite side, it happened all the time. People would just go on social media, mostly Facebook, although a little bit of Twitter, and just declare it untrue. Even though what the city was putting out was completely backed up by the numbers by the state, which is funding $330 million of the new school, people would just go out and say, oh, that's not true. And their supporters would take it as gospel. And it created just this incredible division, which is going to take the city, I think, a long time to heal. So the whole social media aspect of this, we really haven't touched on it, is really, it's, it's overwhelming. People can sit at their keyboards at home and just throw something out there and the public takes it as truth. The public takes it as gospel. It has no attribution. It has no supporting documents. And we fight that battle every single day. I see that as going as being a big issue going forward. That's something that is, is going to be with us for a long time. Andrew, I'd like to end our discussion today with a question for you. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about the benefits of advertising in local news sources so that brands have a better understanding of that and any overcome any misconceptions that they may have? 
you know, I, and I think it's been talked a lot about it. You know, you can get news from any source. And the fact that, like, you know, social media does become uh, gospel. You know, we need to preserve the journalistic integrity that is this profession. I would encourage anybody listening to this to really get involved in a couple of different ways. I mean, one, just go visit protectourpress.org to know really a lot more of the story. As an agency, you can encourage our clients. As, as a brand, you could approve for our brand to be associated with new, credible news sources. For the press to continue to be a big champion of, of that journalistic integrity. And just as an individual, subscribe. Subscribe to the press and not just rely on unreliable news sources. You start to create this dynamic. It works. It works for every everybody in a way that will elevate not just this the initiative, mm-hmm. but how are we just better informed? We're really proud to partner with the Boston Globe on this. Kayvon mentioned all the different initiatives, and those are great places for brands to be associated with. And uh, even Chris talking about the local aspect of here's getting all this chat, online chatter, but here's the true story, and here are the facts and all of that. So start to shy, encourage everybody to just shy away from the randomness of what news has become support and protect the press for brands this is a really great place for you to be associated with because when everybody gets the facts and the the information they feel good about who's helping bring it to them and all that so we're really excited as i said this is a passion passion play for us and we feel really excited and and enthusiastic to have many people who believe and it's been interesting as we roll this out more and more People agree and say, hey, you know what, we're going to do something about it. So let's go do something. Well, that passion certainly shines through. And thank you for your insights and perspective. And I certainly wish you the best of luck with Protect Our Press. So I would like to thank my guests today for joining me. Andrew Graff, CEO at Allen & Gerritsen. Gavon Solomon Poor, Chief Commercial Officer at Boston Globe Media. And Chris Scott, Enterprise Editor at The Lowell Sun. Gentlemen, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. To learn more about Protect Our Press, please visit protectourpress.org. That's protectourpress.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.